0: Psalm 42 says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember, so I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God and with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope again, for again I shall praise him. And my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember. Let's pray together. Father, we do come to you this morning in great longing, a longing that cannot be filled, fulfilled with the things of this world. God, we come confessing that we've tried many. Every single one of us with open hearts and open hands can say before you honestly, we have tried the ways of the world. We have tried to fulfill ourselves with empty things. And we're here this morning, collectively, recognizing that we cannot fill our hearts and our souls with things outside of you. Created things do not not fit and fill a hole that is in the hearts of those created in your image. And so, Father, we come in deep longing for you, asking, Father, that you would fill us with hope. God, made this Psalm 42, 5 be true of us, that when our souls reach a point where we can say that our souls are cast down, you speak with us through your word into our very own souls, And we remind our souls, hope in God, for we praise him, our salvation. When our souls are downcast, Father, may we remember you. And so God, as a collected body, we praise you. We thank you. We give you the glory for this life. We give you the glory for the great things that you have done, the beautiful creation you have made all around us. You have knit together every mountaintop every valley every every river and stream all of the beauty of all creation that we enjoy has been fashioned by your hand and yet father beyond the beauty of physical creation you have seen fit to create us as human beings in your image and for your glory and we're not just part of your beautiful creation But we are the pinnacle of your creation because you have said so. Because there's only one thing you created that you said this is in my image and this represents me amongst all the other creation and therefore this created being has dominion and that was us as humans, as mankind. So Father, you've given us a great grace. You've given us a great position in your creation. You've given us a great opportunity over your creation. So, Father, we ask that you would just make us faithful stewards. We ask that you would enable us to enjoy the good gifts that you have given all around us. But, Father, as we praise you for your creation, as we praise you for the beauty of of what we see in nature, and for the beauty of being image bearers of you, Father, we also confess our sin. And we say that we have rejected you. Collectively. And individually we are a people that are born into sin and we are a people that have made ourselves guilty through our own sin we confess that and father we repent of our ways and seek to follow you in purity so father may the worship that we've given to you be acceptable to you may it be a sweet aroma in your throne room. And Spirit of God, as we come as broken sinners, recognizing our need, recognizing the power of your presence, recognizing the power of Christ's sacrifice, because everything that we do here this morning is dependent upon the Son of God becoming a man, living and dying and rising again, so that we who confess our sins can be forgiven by a faithful and just God. So Father, we're here this morning acknowledging all those beautiful truths. And as we open the word, we ask you speak to us. Give us fresh light as you illumine your powerful words to us. Because Father, we want to know you. We want to follow you. We want to father be faithful disciples faithful obeyers of you so speak to us god as we're here for you and in christ jesus name as our one and true and pure sacrifice we pray amen amen and thank you for joining us this morning let's go ahead and we'll have the kids dismissed to their time of worship upstairs That's three years old through the fifth grade, and you can pick them up, parents upstairs, at the end of the service. A few things going on in the life of the church that I'd like you to know about. Um, Number one, this evening is Sunday evening, kids ministry. We also have some life groups meeting, youth ministry. Um, All that starts at 530, um, so that's kids ministry for fifth grade and down, youth ministry for sixth through twelfth grade. And we have some adult life groups as well. If you're not in the life group, you can show up tonight and we can find one for you to visit. We'd love for you to be connected in a deeper way um, that way. A few things coming up this Saturday. We have a men's ministry breakfast, and there's a sign-up sheet for that in the uh, back of the room. It's also, sign-ups are available online via the Church Center app, um, which we've been promoting to you guys to get set up the last couple of weeks, so you could sign up that way online. Um, We also have a new members lunch on February 5th, that's next Sunday. So if you're interested in that, come and talk to me. We'll also have some registration online um, for that. We have a few families committed, but please come and talk to me if you're interested in that. We have our congregational meeting coming up. I want everybody to save the date for that because you're all welcome. And some of you are thinking, well, I'm I'm not a member. I've been here a couple times. I'm not sure I should go to this congregational meeting. Um, On February the 19th, what we'll do is we'll have a a chili cook-off. So that's at least one thing that you should come to. And anyone can enter a pot of chili into this competition. We've got to sign up for that at the back table. We've got three or four pots of chili that people have already committed to bring. Um, We will have a prize for for first place there. Um, But we can come, we can eat dinner, we can have chili together. And then we're going to have uh, ministry reports from some of our key ministry leaders in key ministry areas. That's the way we do our congregational meetings. It's exciting. It's uplifting. You get to see behind the scenes a lot of budget and financial details. Um, you guys know we, we, we give you financial details in that bulletin sheet that you get every week. There's some information in that, but it's good to to twice a year come together in those congregational meetings and really see what is the state of the church. And we talk about the state, the health of the church in financial areas, as it regards missions, as it regards youth ministry, kids ministry, worship ministry, all those different areas. You'll hear more about that. And let me just tell you, um, this financial report is like really, really good news. We came to you guys last year, and we said, late spring, um, as we were entering into the summer, we said, brothers sisters, we're, we're behind, and we really uh, need to ask for the Lord's provision, we need to ask for you as the congregation to pray about your support of the, of the church, because our 2022 budget, we were behind in the first quarter tremendously, and in the first half of the year, we were significantly behind, and God provided and God provided through the church, and we ended with a much better giving year than we would have anticipated. And you look at the first half of, of 2020, 2022 versus the second half of 2022, there was a remarkable difference as um, God just brought some new people, some new life. Um, people were faithful, but ultimately we give God the glory. And so um, this is to going to be a really fun one. If you've been to some of those. And guys, we'll be honest, we've had some that haven't been super fun in the financial reporting. Um, This is a good one. God provide, God has blessed us tremendously, and we're excited to tell you about that. There's still more work ahead, there's plenty more that God has for us to do in ministry locally and around the world, and you'll hear about that on February 19th. Then, the following weekend is our Missions Conference. This Missions Conference is going to highlight the work of the Jesus Film, which uh, many of you know, one of our members, uh, Bill Sims, has served in the Jesus Film for a long time through CREW, mission organization used to be called Campus Crusade for Christ, that engages in campus ministry all over the world and in various different areas of ministry and discipleship. And we're going to highlight the work of this important project, the Jesus Film. Part of it, we're going to have a movie night that Sunday night. We're going to have some, um, uh, a conference on Saturday morning of that weekend where there's going to be some sessions for kids and adults. So mark your calendar for that. We'll have some more promotion of that as we um, go the next few weeks. So those are the things you need to know right now. Um, and I need you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. One of the great unexpected blessings that Jess and I enjoyed together was in our first year of marriage, we were invited to a small group that, from some perspectives, we really didn't fit in very well. Um, This was the church that actually I grew up in. I had been at that church for 16 years. Um, I stayed there in college, and Jess, as we started dating, um, she had some good friends at this church as well. So she started coming, and um, we engaged. We served at that church together for a little bit. But our first year of marriage, as I was in an intern position at that church, we got involved in a small group that was as multi-generational as you could get. We walked in, having been married for all of a couple of weeks, and we were greeted by other couples in um, this small group in their 50s, in their 60s, and even in their 80s. It was a truly multi-generational group in which we benefited tremendously. And it's a, it's a great feeling when you come in. And this church had a good college ministry. Um, we were a part, we, Jess and I went together to a Christian college that was only about a mile and a half away from this, uh, from this church that I grew up in. So there were probably, tw- at any given time, 25, 30 college students at a service. There were college students around. That was great. But our first year of marriage, we engaged in a small group that had a couple single people, had us as token young couple, and had um, couples, like I said, across the age spectrum. We learned a lot. We had parents in the church all of a sudden, even though we didn't really have parents in the church. But we had people in our parents' generation. We had people in our small group in our grandparents' age range and generation. It was a great benefit to us as a young couple that had no idea what we were doing, but we needed God's grace and we needed people in our lives. And as we look at 1 Timothy, so much of 1 Timothy is about the directives of the church, but also every time I read it, I'm reminded of the potential of the church. And this passage gives me a great reminder of the potential of an intentionally multi-generational diverse community. Because we don't have a lot of opportunities like that. If we're honest with ourselves, most of our relationships are within our own generation, within our own stage of life. We have more in common with people that are going through similar points in their career as we are, going through similar challenges at home with marriage, family, whatever, as we are. That tends to make sense. But, but it makes more sense, and I think biblically we have a passage that kind of helps us see this. As we are preparing ourselves for an eternal kingdom, every nation, tongue, and tribe, people of every generation, of every stage of history, in perfect community with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's an incredibly diverse community that we will be worshiping with, that we will be present with for all eternity. And we are living In the here and now, instead of this in-between phase where we know Christ has accomplished his work on the cross, so sin has been defeated, sin has been paid for, the gospel has gone out to us, and we've responded, but we're not yet in that stage of perfection where we get to live in that eternal kingdom with every nation, tongue, and tribe, and every generation worshiping together. So what we do in this interim is the complexity of the Christian life, but in this interim there's something beautiful. About intentional relationships with people that are not like us. And in this passage, in particular, the focus is on people that are not like us in age, people that are in other generations. Because God wants us as a Christian community to become the household of God, the bride of Christ. That means a family. And to call the church a family is complex because we know you love your family and you have great ties to your family. Keep, keep those. But the church is a family in that we form new relationships, important relationships, strong relationships across generations that benefit us. I was thinking about this this morning. Walked into our bathroom and saw that there's a stool in our bathroom that the kids use to reach the sink and brush their teeth, wash their hands and stuff like that that was made many years ago by that 80-year-old man that was the older couple in our small group back in the day. We remember those days so fondly. Burl and Nelda, they were so, so, aren't those just like older generation names, Burl and Nelda? And um, they loved us well. They encouraged our young marriage. um, And they were dear friends while they were 60, 65 years older than us. It's important. It matters within your life and within a local church. So let's jump in. 1 Timothy 5. And we'll see what it means to relate across generations. And, and in this passage in particular, Paul brings up a challenge that comes up as you relate across generations. So the first couple of verses are about intentionally pursuing being strategic in relations with, with people that are of different generations or different genders. But then in verse 3... The bulk of this passage today is talking about when you relate and you have an intentionally multi-generational community, you have some people in challenging stages that come up that creates challenges for the community. How do you honor widows? How do you support widows within the Christian community? This sermon today is not just for widows. It's for all of us. It's how we love, support, care for, and honor those within our midst that have real physical needs. So let's start. We'll we'll pick up 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 first, and then we'll go into 3 and following in a minute. Paul says to Timothy, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Simple. Two simple verses. And in these verses, one and two, we see older men, younger men, older women, and younger women all brought up as a part of this discussion. So Paul is telling Timothy, hey, young dude Timothy, you've got to have intentional relationships with people in all four of these categories. But you need some, some direction in how to pursue those relationships. You remember where we were last week included... This more well-known verse in chapter 4, 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set an example for the believers. And so we have already acknowledged, everybody in, in the church of Ephesus that Timothy's leading, everybody knows that's a young dude up there. And he's leading people that are largely older than him. So much of this book is written into that context, and you can see it. That Timothy is a young guy leading older generation of believers. And so there's a lot of context there there that tends to come up. What We remember this, okay? When Paul is talking to this young guy, and he's telling him, you've got to have intentional relationships with older men, intentional relationships with older women, intentional relationships with younger men, intentional relationships with younger women. And there is good exhortation for all of us there. What does he say about older men? He said, treat them like a father. He said, do not rebuke an older man. He's not saying, just assume that the old guys are right all the time. He's not saying, when an old guy messes up, then just let it go and try to be encouraging. Actually, later in this very book, he speaks of what happens when elders miss it. When the older men in the church miss it and are wrong or incorrect about something, so much of this book actually addresses that problem. There's a lot of false teaching. There's leaders that are leading in the wrong direction. So what Paul is continuing telling young guy Timothy to do is to be bold in addressing the controversies around him and to not shrink away from the controversies and the disagreements. But he is saying in the midst of controversy and disagreement, there's a way to do it and there's a way to not do it. And Paul's advice is, you have a guy that's 30 years older than you, that's a generation above you, that's as old as your father, do not come to him and rebuke him because you're the leader of the church, because you have a position of leadership. But rather, even when an older man is incorrect, you have to encourage him, treat him with respect, and encourage him as you would a father. That's not just pastoral advice. That is relational direction for each of us. If you are in a discussion, in an interaction with somebody that is older than you, it is still right and proper to show respect to those that are of a generation above you, to honor and to respect them even when you disagree. Because we make our decisions not based on what one generation thinks and we just always assume that the the older generation is always right. No, we make our decisions based on what Scripture says And based on God's leadership over his church, God's direction for his church in in teaching um, through the scriptures. So it's possible, not being disrespectful in, in acknowledging this, it's possible that members of the older generation do need to be corrected. But Paul says, don't rebuke. There's a difference, right? Rebuke is harsh. Rebuke is, I'm the authority, I'm the leader, get in line. But an encouraging correction is, Hey, we need to sit down and we need to talk about this issue. We're not on the same page. And this is why I, I come to the position that I do. Here's a scriptural reason. Here's a scriptural warrant. And, even, and if it's something that is not addressed in scripture, then it's, hey, here's a practical reason. Here's why I believe you're making a mistake doing this. And here's why I think this is the right course of action. Showing the respect to due age. That's what Paul is emphasizing. here. Younger women, or younger men. Okay, so that's how you treat an older man. Younger men are not treated, in verse 2, like children, okay? You don't take that family relationship so far, well, if they're older than you, you treat them like a father, and they're younger than you, you can treat them like kids and tell them what to do. It's not what he says. He says, younger men, you treat as brothers. You treat even men that are younger than you, and I recognize Timothy's probably in his late 20s, early 30s, something like that. And so younger men is probably guys that are late teens, early 20s. And Paul is saying, younger men, you treat them as brothers. You, you treat younger men as peers. It still means you don't just rebuke and talk down to people. You still respect people. You still respect them as image bearers of God. You respect brothers and sisters as, as image bearers of God that are recreated in the image of Christ because they confessed their sin and were made new in a new creation in Christ now. There's an inherent respect that you show to people that have been purchased by the blood of Christ. For older men, it's treat them as fathers. For younger men, it's with respect as brothers, not talking down, not patronizing. Older women are to be given the respect of mothers in verse 2. Younger women, the respect as sisters and in all purity. And I think this is worth taking a minute to Emphasize this point that Paul is making here He brings up this issue of purity in the sentence in which he's talking about a man relating to women in the church We all know That we have to be aware of issues of purity We all know that we have to be um, Cautious of men in their relationship to women out, outside of marriage we, we need to put up guardrails and guards against this but, but look at what Timothy is saying or look at what Paul is saying to Timothy, sorry. He's saying, you have to have a relationship as a shepherd with the young women in your church too. But you have that relationship as sisters in all purity. He's not saying, let the women minister to the women and let the men minister to the men because we're so worried about men and women having, having friendship relationships because we think there's going to be this great problem there. No, he's saying... Figure out the problem with your purity and and embrace relationships with older women and younger women too because, Timothy, you're their shepherd. And the the male elders of the church, they're also shepherds. And so, guys, we've got to figure this out. This is something that as a society, as a culture, we're just bad at. We're bad at, at male and female relationships that we, we know you have to protect the marriage relationship, but so often those marriage relationships get destroyed by inappropriate work relationships, inappropriate friendships. We, we know that happens. But, but brothers and sisters, when that happens, that doesn't mean that we should just automatically separate all adult men from all adult women and say, you can only be friends with men and you can only be friends with women. We have got to find out how we can live as Christians, as brothers and sisters. And you can have a familial, kind, warm, and pure relationship with somebody that is not of your gender. That's what the body of Christ does. We put up guardrails, we put up precautions, but Paul is literally telling Timothy, you must, you must shepherd the younger women in the church too you cannot avoid them because they are women because they're a part of the church and we need to shepherd everyone in the church so if you notice there there's not a whole lot of difference there's not a whole lot of difference in how he's telling Timothy to relate to older men and older women not a whole lot of difference in how he's telling Timothy to relate to younger men and younger women other than adding in this line of making sure in your relationships you're pursuing purity younger adults in the church are to be treated as siblings in Christ older adults in the church are to be treated as parents given the respect due their age so leaders should not should not treat everyone the same way in the church it's kind of what Paul says it says be mindful of their generation be mindful of their age and pursue wise relationships with people some as peers, some as parents, some as cousins and aunts and uncles because we're a family that is pursuing purity in Christ together. Now, as he talks about that relationship, he says you've got to have relationships with every generation, every type of person that comes within the church. That's not just the pastor's responsibility. I believe that's what Paul would say to any of us. If everybody has to have a relationship with the young pastor in the church, that's inherent here, then that means that anyone should be able to relate to each other regardless of generation within the church as well. But then in verse 3, he speaks of a challenge that comes up as you pursue this. Honor widows who are truly widows. And let me read down this whole section on widows through verse 16. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Verse 9, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works. She's brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going from house to house. Not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any unbelieving woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. That's a fun passage. Lots of things to talk about. Um, a couple things to start out with here. I already told you, I think the priority of this passage is relating across generations, relating to everybody within Christ's church. I think a second principle is learning to care for, support, provide for the vulnerable within a community. I think another principle is making sure that the church's care for the vulnerable in the community is not being taken advantage of. So much of Paul's words from 3 through 16, there is a context that we do not have the full details of. Paul and Timothy have a relationship There's plenty of correspondence, written correspondence, and personal correspondence, obviously, between Paul and Timothy that we have no record of. There's a story here. There's probably multiple stories here. Paul's writing into a context not just because he thinks some widows are untrustworthy. Paul's writing into a context because there is some way in which he has heard that in Ephesus there were some people that were taking advantage of a system in which the church was providing for people in need. And so Paul's burden in writing these paragraphs is that the church would not be taken advantage of so that the church could properly care for those who truly have needs. Paul's not saying you only care for some widows and you ignore others. Paul is saying we want to be careful in the church that we leverage our resources to provide benefit for those that really need the help. And we don't want to utilize all of our financial resources for people that don't need help and are just taking advantage of the church. There's a story in the background that we don't know. And somewhere there's a story of uh, probably a younger widow or a widow that had family support that was living off of the support of the church, taking advantage of the church so that her children and grandchildren could not support her and could do whatever they wanted. And she, in her idleness, was, had become a gossip and a busybody because she had no family to care for, she had no work, it's not, he, I do not believe that Paul is saying that widows are prone to this behavior. What Paul is saying is that you've put somebody in a situation where they don't have any work to do, they don't have anyone to provide for, they don't have family relationships around them, but you're just giving them money and they don't know what to do with their time, so they become idle, and idleness leads to sin. If you're just financially supporting somebody and allowing them to be idle in their lives, then that leads in a negative direction. That's what Paul is saying here, not widows are prone to gossip. I don't think that's what the Bible says. Paul is saying idleness leads to sin. So people should work. People should provide for their families. People should relate amongst generations and in families. People should serve others. So with those sort of uh, guiding principles in mind, oh, one more. If you read the whole Bible, there is a category of vulnerable people that gets referred to beginning to end. And sometimes the Bible uses three, three different descriptions of vulnerable people, and sometimes it's two. But all throughout, we can see the Bible God cares deeply about people in vulnerable positions. So as a couple of examples, um, God says in Psalm 68 that he is a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. Two categories of vulnerable peoples, orphans and widows. God cares deeply and God will provide for them. God will care for them. In Exodus 22, he says that those who take advantage of widows and orphans would receive a special condemnation from God. His anger will be aroused against those who do not care for and actually take advantage of orphans and widows. Again, vulnerable people described in two categories, widows and orphans. In Deuteronomy 10, he defends the cause of the orphan and the widow. It is God that cares most Deeply about orphans and widows, those who do not have family support. The third, the third description or the third category of people that God puts in the vulnerable category are described as sojourners, exiles, refugees, aliens, and any of those words could come in in different scripture translations. Um, and throughout the Old Testament, the concern was that the Israelites were not, or God's people as a whole, often did not take, take care of widows, didn't provide for orphans, and didn't welcome in sojourners and refugees. And God throughout the prophets is, is full of condemnation and judgment four people that have taken advantage of those categories of vulnerable people. God cares about vulnerable people. God wants you to care about vulnerable people. God places a priority on his church for caring for and providing vulnerable people, widows, orphans, refugees, and aliens. That's what God is talking about from beginning to the end of scripture. Often those three categories of people listed together. Jesus himself in his ministry showed particular compassion for widows as he lifted up the son of the widow of Nain, as he he, um, was complimentary of the widow and her offering as she was giving just two little coins and others were giving more. Jesus, the son of God, in his life and ministry was complimentary of and showed compassion for widows. You should care too. Widows... Orphans, refugees, people who God cares deeply about, people who God says he has special provisions for and special concern for. It's an Old Testament thing, and it's a New Testament thing. God says, because you were sojourners in Egypt, because you were exiles in Egypt, so you should be providing for exiles, for vulnerable people. James, he says, true and undefiled religion is this, to care for widows and orphans in their distress. There is no question that God cares about widows as he does orphans and refugees. This passage is not Paul's attempt to save the church some money so that they only have to care about some widows and not all. This passage is an attempt by Paul to make sure the church is strategic and practical in their ministry to vulnerable people. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, this is important for us. Most of you know, every month as we receive the Lord's Supper here together, we also take up an offering that's a special offering. It's called the Samaritan Fund. The Samaritan Fund does not fund any ministries in the church. We have We have boxes in the back. If you want to give to the general ministry of the church, you have boxes in the back. You can give online. You can send checks automatically to the church. Whatever. That's how you give to the ministries of the church. The Samaritan Fund, the only offering that we take up, goes outside of the church to minister to those that are vulnerable, that have real financial, physical needs that need extra support, some for a season of time, some in an ongoing sense. Poor, widows, those that need help those that that maybe don't need help all the time but get themselves in a bad position because of a job transition, because of an illness, because of an injury, we as a church must be faithful in those opportunities. But God gives us some guidelines. God gives us some some safety rails on how to do this well. So so let's unpack these um, carefully. Um, One thing that we need to know is that family matters as regards widows. So Paul says, honor widows who are truly widows. And in verse 4, he defines what makes somebody not truly a widow in that they don't have the same level of vulnerability and have the same need for support. If people, if a widow has children or grandchildren that can support them, then look at verse 4. Let's put verse 4 back on the screen. Why? Why? Why is it important that the church not oversupport? This is a principle here, okay? Why is it important that the church not oversupport support a, a widow who has children and grandchildren who have the ability to support? What's the reason that Paul gives there? He does not give so that the church doesn't waste money. He doesn't say, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first support her so that the church doesn't waste money. No, he says you're actually hurting the children and grandchildren by overly supporting this widow. Because, and this is a principle any of us can apply right now in our family. We learn godliness by showing respect to the generation and the generations above us within our own family. That's how how God wants you to learn godliness, to care well for your parents, to care well for your grandparents. It is a lesson in loving like Jesus loved. And, he, and Paul says, don't take that lesson away from people by giving their mothers money so that they don't have to care for and provide them. There's a both and here, okay? There, there's, there's people that don't have the means to support themselves, that God wants the church to come in and support the vulnerable and help them. But Paul is saying, don't let people miss the opportunity to learn godliness and learn more what it means to be like Christ, by taking care of too many people and not letting others see the joy and the return that God gives, the reward that God gives for those that serve their families well. Serving widows is showing godliness. Serving widows pleases God. So we've got to recognize. And that's true for those that are not in our family. It's true for those that are in our family. One of the things we know from Christian history, one of the earliest things that secular writers wrote about Christians that really explained sort of the vibrant spread of Christianity in the earliest centuries. There's one Roman author that writes about Christians and he's like, we can't figure out this spread of why people like following this dead guy that died on a cross so much. But one of the explanations he gave is actually the early church's care for widows. Because he said it's not just that they care for their own widows, they're caring for our widows too. They're doing so well at caring for their widows, now they're caring for non-Christian widows as well. And this secular author, this Roman author is like, what gives? Why are these people doing this? Remember that in this age, it was it, it, family was respected. But you have a multicultural environment in the Roman Empire. Cultures were shifting rapidly as cultures were being conquered and then absorbed into one. And so within this mega culture of the Roman Empire, you have some that care deeply for, for um, for their parents and their grandparents and take great care of them and some that just move on with their lives and become modern in the ancient sense. And so it was really surprising the way the Christians cared so well for widows. And that means... Christian and non-Christian widows. But Paul is giving us some limiting principles here. And the first limiting principle is that we don't just support people that have other means of support. Or we are careful about supporting people that have other means of support. It's why for uh, us as Christians, for us as a church, we should not get into the habit of seeing vulnerable people, widows, orphans, refugees, or whatever description we have, we should not get in the habit of just giving people resources without training them how to better utilize resources. Financial gifts should often come with financial counseling and financial direction so that we can help somebody with job skills, help somebody provide for themselves, help a family provide more for their mother. That's the principle behind what Paul is emphasizing here. Don't just let somebody live in idleness and, ne- and not support themselves. Find ways to make sure that that person is uh, being provided for but also that you're investing in that person to where they can provide for themselves or the family can provide for themselves. There's another principle um, that comes up here. Um, in verse 5, the woman who is truly a widow is left all alone, and she puts her hope in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Okay, let's step out of just talking about widows and let's just talk about older generation, those that are um, in retirement years that are beyond the workforce, that maybe don't have children or grandchildren to care for as often as they once did. So therefore, they have a little bit more time and margin in their life. Verse five is for you, not just widows. Widowers, retired couples, if you... Find yourself in a stage of life where you no longer have a career to focus on. You're no longer regularly, day after day, serving children and grandchildren. There is a way to use your time extremely well to serve the kingdom of God. Put your hope in God, continue in supplications and prayers night and day. The ministry of prayer that somebody in a latter stage of life can do is vital, not because Pastor Tim says it's vital, but because the Apostle Paul, and God's sacred word, says it's important. That's the direction that Paul is giving here. Don't assume, Timothy. You young dude, Timothy, that you have no idea what it's like to be a widow. Let me just tell you something, Timothy. Don't assume that widows are not useful. Don't assume that the older generation is not useful. And make sure your people know that they are vital in the kingdom of God, whatever generation they are in. And encourage those that are not physically able to serve in the way that they want to serve, serve in the way that they want served, uh, encourage them to continue in supplication and prayer because they are fighting battles for the kingdom in their prayer closet too. That's why that verse is here. It's an important principle for all of us. So the principles he gives us, he says, uh, widows are truly widows when they don't have family support. Widows can be effective in the kingdom of God through, through prayer and service. And in verse 8, he says something else, something really hard. That those that deny to care for their family are worse than unbelievers. So call your mom today. Call your grandma, check in. When we deny our responsibility to those in our family that we have the opportunity to care for, God does not take that failure lightly a good challenge for every single one of us. And let me say this. This passage is all about widows. Widows is a special category in scripture that gets talked about a lot. Um, but widows are not the only category of vulnerable people. Like, we should care about widowers too. We should care about elderly couples that are past retirement age, that have children that live out of town, that are not I- I very involved or they don't see often we should care about vulnerable people in different categories beyond just widows, okay? Widows is a special category in Scripture, but it's not the only category of vulnerable. So in verse 9 now, okay, he goes on, starts talking about this enrollment list. Paul's trying to narrow the church's focus in a first century context, but we know that in our, that in our um, context, in our generation that we can look at these principles and apply them to widows in the same way he does, but apply them more broadly. We don't just care about widows. Another category, we, we, guys, do we care about single moms? Do we care about single parents? Do we care about those with physical disabilities? Vulnerable people that we should care about, that we can put in a similar category where the church can step in and provide uh, support to help those that are vulnerable. And we need guiding principles to make sure that we don't do it to the extent that people become idle and don't have to care for themselves, but we do it practically recognizing when somebody can provide for themselves and when that person needs help. So what does it mean to be enrolled? Uh, Verse 9 says that there's a specific category of women that are enrolled. And then he goes on to talk about how you get on this category of people that are enrolled, and this is where we have to be really careful. He says only people that are over 60 years of age can be enrolled in this list. He says they need to be uh, women of one man, uh, faithful in their marriage. They need to have a good reputation. They need to have been a good mother. They need to have shown hospitality by washing the feet of the saints and caring for the afflicted. They need to have devoted themselves to good works. That's eight through ten there. It's a high lofty list. You know what's crazy though? Really interesting when you read the book. Just go back two chapters. Go back exactly two chapters. You have another list of the people that are supposed to be leaders in the church. Same high and lofty list. And let me tell you something. Both lists taken woodenly, taken just really, really literally, both lists are actually impossible to attain. Look at 1 Timothy 3, we talked about it a lot, we kind of belabored that section of what it means to be qualified as a leader, pastor, elder, deacon in the church. Those lists are really hard to meet, none of us as leaders actually perfectly meet all those qualifications at all times. But there are principles here of godly character, of personal holiness. And so let's look at this list perfectly, let's look at this list carefully and say, God is not saying... And Paul is not saying that the only time the church should ever financially provide for a widow is if she marks all these boxes and does everything right. Paul is giving a description of mature character and saying, in order for a widow to be on this enrollment list, which we should see as not the only people that get help. What I think Paul is talking about here is there's a list of women of widows that are enrolled that they get regular support. They're always being supported. And then there are widows that are helped occasionally, okay? Not, you either meet these qualifications or you're not helped at all. But these are the qualifications for those that make the list, that get regular support, monthly support, regular meals, whatever. Those others, including non-Christians, may get occasional support but not have the same level of support. But those that get the regular list or regular support that are enrolled on the list are older widows, have shown particular faithfulness, In marriage and as a demonstration of character. They have good reputations. They've been faithful mothers and they have shown hospitality by caring for the afflicted, washing the feet of the saints and devoting themselves to good works. This is a woman of outstanding character that has served well that deserves the church now to serve her well in this stage of life. Should the church support widows that fall short of those requirements. Yes, absolutely. Again, back to what I said about the first century. We know throughout the, every generation of the church that has been true, that the church has supported faithful, amazing Christian widows and non-Christian widows because we support the vulnerable. We support non-Christian orphans too. We support non-Christian refugees too. God calls us to care for the vulnerable. We care particularly to a greater degree for those that have served Christ faithfully and they receive their reward. They start to receive a portion of their eternal eternal reward now by the esteem, support, respect, love, and provision from the local church. Those women that have particularly served well and now because of the loss of a husband are particularly vulnerable, they receive a greater amount of support. We're going to wrap this up. And I'm going to give you five guiding principles, five guiding steps in light of this passage. And guys, this is probably more practical than most of us think after reading 14 verses about widows. Because what I'm trying to tell you is the principles of Scripture don't just apply to that particular case study of that widow in that situation. So here's principle number one. Step number one that I want everyone to find a way to take. Engage another generation in relationship. Find your Burl and Elda Till. Or if you're in your 80s, find your Tim and Jess Cheney. Meant a lot to us. It changed our lives. Y'all, I'm about to cry. I haven't done this in a while. Um, there's something really beautiful about being in a context in which you know that you're loved and accepted. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done. And even when you don't have anything in common with that other person, you still share Christ in common. That's the potential we have here, and it's a beautiful potential. So engage in relationships that are a little bit uncomfortable, that are going to stretch you, to learn something about how another generation thinks, to learn something about somebody from a completely different background, We don't just have to think about generational differences. We can talk about racial and cultural differences too. Engage somebody from a different culture. Engage somebody from a completely different upbringing. See what, just what the beauty of Christ's community can really look like. And number two, honor the elders from your own family. I was reflecting on this this week. Um, I had two grandparents in their 90s that died in the last couple of years. Um, they lived in Texas, and it was so difficult. Um, we got to see um, both of them a couple times. Um, their latter two years, they spent in my aunt and uncle's house, where my two cousins in their 20s regularly cared for them. And, um, and I had to go to my cousins after, after that and just say thank you. Thank you for loving our grandmother well. You know, I got to be the guy, I had the privilege, both times, to be the guy that was looked at delivering the eulogy, and recognizing I hadn't been the one that helped them up to go to the bathroom, or to take a shower, I hadn't been the one to be woken up at two o'clock in the morning because they they fell, because they were trying to do too much on their own, that was Nathan, that was Sean, but I was the guy that got to come up and speak about it. And there is something so beautiful about serving those that are in their latter years. And every single one of us has something to learn about those within our own family, how to honor and serve them well. Find somebody outside of your family to serve. Older generation, younger generation, find somebody to serve. Because there are gaps. I hope there's no gaps within our families represented in this room. I hope that this sermon, that the word of God will convict us to make sure there are no gaps within our own families. But then as we fill the gaps within our own families, we can look out around and we can notice there are some other families that have left some gaps. And that's where the church of Christ steps in to help fill those gaps as brothers and sisters. Number four, devote yourself to godliness. The definition of devoting yourself to godliness in this passage is by caring for somebody that's vulnerable. That's how you devote yourself to godliness in this passage. There's other ways. That's not the only way to devote yourself to godliness. Certainly, we want times in the Word. We want times in prayer. We want times in Christian community. But there is something uniquely powerful about what you can learn about who Jesus is. The the one who left heaven and and lowered himself to come to earth and to, to take the humble form of a servant in his birth and in his life to be beaten, to be mocked, to be ridiculed, to be denied, to be left behind by his closest friends and followers. There's something you learn about godliness, about Christ likeness by serving those in a humble estate. So devote yourself to being like Christ in that way. The band you guys can start making your way up here. And the last point, trust Jesus and trust his bride. The first principle that we've got to get locked up here before we go into all of this is that we need to be with Christ. And if you are with Christ, then you can trust him and you can trust that Jehovah Jireh, the great provider, will provide for our basic needs and for our eternal needs. And so no matter what state you are in in your life right now, no matter what state of vulnerability, despair, sadness, depression, no matter what state you are in, you can still trust Jesus, the Savior of your soul, to walk with you. That widow, the advice that Paul gives to widows here, set your hope in God and devote yourself to prayer. So whatever vulnerable state any one of us are in, remember the truth of the gospel, remember the kindness of our Father, remember the sacrifice of Christ and the presence of God in His Spirit with you. And lastly, we we trust Jesus. We also trust His bride. Sometimes the church fails, but sometimes the church fails because the church just doesn't know what's going on. And so when you have a need and you find yourself in a position of vulnerability trust Jesus with that need and, and trust the bride of Christ with that need sometimes the church isn't serving people well because we're not, we're not seeing everything because we're not Jesus we're not God the Father we don't see vulnerability we don't see needs, we don't see brokenness in the same eternal light but when you have a need this is where you come to the church and to Christ himself so as we stand and sing we've got plenty to do plenty of applications to make every single one of us but I'd first just ask you to renew your trust in Jesus today the savior of your soul who died on the cross to pay a penalty for your sin he wants a deeper relationship with you this morning so stand, sing, and praise him and as you do so Let the Spirit of God convict you in how to take the Word of God to a next step and practically apply it. Let's stand and sing. Father we give you all the glory we give you all the honor for the great things you have done particularly the work of Christ on the cross to make us new creations in him thank you for the sacrifice of sin for the forgiveness and the righteousness that we receive we praise you for the presence of the spirit that now goes with us as we seek to know you more and to make you known among the community around us. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Remain standing and receive the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord, lift up his countenance
1: upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.